Father God, I thank you that you, you gave the promise of the Holy Spirit that as you ascended, Jesus, that you promised us that the Holy Spirit would come and be a helper, Father God, and I thank you that he's still here, Father God, that you never removed that promise, God, and I thank you that he's with us every day, Father God, that I thank you that he goes before us, that he is in us and with us, and he's shaping us to be more and more like you. Father God, I pray, Father God, that we just allow him to do his work in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just remain standing just for a moment, just before you sit down, if that's okay? Just because I have the honor of preaching this morning, and this week I was watching a preacher, and they shared something that used to happen in churches many years ago, and basically I was wondering if we would be able to just stand for the reading of God's word this morning, and because I just, this week I, I thought about myself and how so often, maybe it's just me, but I can take the Bible for granted sometimes, you know, I've like eight Bibles in my house, I've got it in my phone, but so often I can treat it just like any other app, or sometimes it can just be a, ah, maybe I could read it, maybe I won't read it, and maybe I shouldn't admit that, but I just got a fresh revelation this week that this book, this Bible is the most dangerous book on the planet, it's banned in the most countries, it's the most stolen, it's the most discussed, it is the most question book and yet above all it stands on its own why because it is the word of god and it is the it is everything we need for life if you want to be a better spouse a better parent you want to be a better person the answers are in this book if you want answers if you want wisdom the answers are in this book if you want to know how to live the best life you can on this planet the answers are in this book and i just wondered this morning just as i read some verses from today's reading if you follow our readings if we could just stand as we honor it it will come up on the screen But it says this in Romans 15, verses 1 to 13. It says, Now those who are mature in their faith can easily be recognized. For they don't live to please themselves, but have learned to patiently embrace others in their immaturity. Our goal must be to empower others to do what is right and good for them, and to bring them into spiritual maturity. For not even the most powerful one of all, the anointed one, lived to please himself. His life fulfilled the scripture that says, all the insults of those who have insulted you fall upon me. Whatever was written beforehand is meant to instruct us in how to live. The scriptures impart to us encouragement and inspiration so that we can live in hope and endure all things. Now may God, the source of great endurance and comfort, grace you with unity among yourselves which flows from our relationship with Jesus, the anointed one. Then, with the unanimous rush of passion, you will with one voice glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will bring God glory when you accept and welcome one another as partners, just as the anointed one has fully accepted you and received you as his partner. I am convinced that Jesus the Messiah, was sent as a servant to the Jewish people to fulfill the promises God made to our ancestors and to prove God's faithfulness. And now, because of Jesus, the non-Jewish people, that's you and me, of the world can glorify God for his kindness to them, fulfilling the prophecy of scripture. Because of this, I will proclaim you among the nations and they will hear me sing praises to your name. And in another place it says, you who are not Jewish, celebrate life right alongside his Jewish people. And again, praise the Lord, all you who are not Jews, and let all of the people of the earth raise their voices and praises to him. And Isaiah prophesied, an heir to David's throne will emerge. 
He will rise up as ruler over all the non-Jewish nations, for all their hopes will be met in him. Now, may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with a super abundance until you radiate with hope. Now, I don't know about you, but I just feel like I want to praise the Lord this morning. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. Father God, I thank you for his promises. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus. Father God, I thank you that the hope of every heart can only ever be found in Jesus. I thank you, God, that he is the ruler over every single nation. Father God, every single nation will bow the knee, every king will bow the knee to the king of kings. Father God, and I thank you that he is the hope that fills us to overflowing, uncontainable joy and to perfect peace. Father God, we give Jesus all of the praise and all of the glory and all of the honor because he is the only one who is worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So that was a reading this morning, and it's the Bible verse I kind of want to share some thoughts on, because this year is not just this year. We really believe our theme verse for us as a church, and we believe it's a prophetic verse for our future, and where we're heading is Isaiah 54, verses 2 to 3, and we're looking at stretching and strengthening this morning, and Really, I want to preach a message or share a message with a title this morning called Trust the Process. Trust the Process. It will come up on the screen. Thanks, Gary, for doing that and Kira for sorting that out. But normally, I don't know about you, but normally when someone says trust the process, it's when they're about to do something that seems counterproductive to what we're trying to achieve. It's certainly true of my life. Normally, we often play video games, because uh, I'm a child at heart, really, and oftentimes in the game, one of us will say, trust the process, because we're doing something that seems counterintuitive to trying to win the game. I'll be honest, depending on who says trust the process, will determine whether I actually do trust the process or not. If it's Gary, I tend to trust him. If it's me who says it, you really shouldn't trust it, because I'm normally going to do something really silly. But trust the process is normally when someone says something that seems ridiculous, and that you can't see what is going on inside their head. But I really feel like God wanted me to share a message this morning called Trust the Process. I firmly believe that God is always moving, he's always working, and he's always doing something new in us and through us. And if you're at Life Groups this week, I heard Pastor Jim's preaching encourages that God is more interested in doing something in you than he is doing something through you. And I believe oftentimes in life it can look like it's a mess, or it doesn't seem like this is where God wants it to go, but I want, I believe he wanted me to encourage you this morning to trust the process. I look at my Bible and there's full of trust the process moments. I think of Moses. If you don't know the story, long story short, Moses is leading the people of God, the Israelites or the Jews out of Egypt where they've been in captivity for years. They're leading towards this promised land and they come to this point where the Egyptian army are behind them. There's a sea in front of them and if it's me reading the story, I'm like, God, what is... <laughs> the Israelites going to say, why did you lead us out here just to be killed in the desert? What was the point? But I believe that God said to Moses, he didn't say this literally, but he said, trust the process. And what then happens next is, without the Israelites having to do much, God tells Moses what to do, and he follows that instruction. And the sea parts, they walk through it, and the entire Egyptian army is wiped out. The enemy was dealt with by God. Why? Through his obedience. Why? Because Moses trusted the process. I think of Daniel in the lion's den. 
It's a great story. We know how it ends. But then I think about Daniel. And I think he had to trust the process. Daniel, if you don't know the story, Daniel basically is in a, he's taken into captivity. This happens a lot in the Old Testament of the Bible. You can read about it in the book of Daniel. He's taken out from his home and put into captivity. And it gets to the point where Daniel, because of his obedience to God, his faith in Jesus, distinguishes himself above all others. So the king kind of makes him number two in terms of running the country. And it gets to the point where the people don't like that very much because Daniel's a Jew. He's not one of us. And so the only way they can find fault in Daniel is in his faith. What an incredible testimony that is. So they conspire to pretty much make sure that Daniel gets caught out in his faith by tricking the king to say, make a decree that everyone should worship you and no other God. Daniel hears this and he's got a, do I trust the process moment? And he decides, you know what, I'm worshiping the only one true God. And because of that, he gets thrown in the lion's den. Now, I was speaking to my niece fairly recently, Christina, who's not here this morning, and she says, I'm not scared of lions. So I had a simple response. Next time we go to Blair Drummond, as you leave Blair Drummond, if you've ever been, the last thing you drive through is the exit is the lion enclosure. And I said, I will drive the car really slowly. I will put your window and your window alone down. (laughs) And her face went, That told me all I need to know. It turns out Christina is very afraid of lions. Now, just to clarify, I would never actually do that. It was just to prove the point. But if you're not afraid of lions, then you're you're crazy. (laughs) Lions are terrifying. I ain't going to mess with them. But Daniel has to sleep with the lions, but the next day he gets out. And I think, what an amazing story. But could you imagine being Daniel? (laughs) I'll be honest. I don't know if I'd have the faith to believe I'm not going to get eaten by a lion. But that's the God that we serve because he had to trust The process, and one final one, Jesus tells his disciples beforehand, by the way, I am going to die on a cross, but don't worry, three days later I'm going to rise again. Now, they didn't trust the process, they were terrified, but Jesus was trying to tell them, trust the process, because sometimes in life we have to go through things that don't seem like what God would want us to go through, but God calls us to trust the process. I believe that as we look to stretch, stretch, sorry, and strengthen, there's going to be times on the journey for your life and for us as a church where we're going to have to trust the process. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be challenges. But I believe God wanted to remind us to trust the process. Like I said at the start, depending on who says trust the process will determine whether I trust the process. If I'm saying it, don't listen. But if God says it, then I'm definitely going to listen. Why? Because he's the one who creates the processes. But I just want to, Three things I would like to share with you as we look to trust the process. I believe the three principles that Paul writes in this passage that we read at the start as we trust the process. And the first thing I know as part of trusting the process is that we have to build up and serve one another. And we have to serve others. I've been blessed in my life. I've had people who have built me up from before I was even born. People were praying for me and encouraging me. They've encouraged me and championed me. And I am on the journey of maturity because I don't think any of us ever fully reached full maturity in God but we're all on that journey and I believe that Paul as he writes out here on this challenge of trust in the process is that true true maturity in faith is that I don't live for myself but I live for others that I show patience and I allow others faults to be part of the journey as we encourage them to grow into everything God has them to be 
as we look to be patient, that we don't get angry with one another, and that we don't, when we do get frustrated, we don't allow that to dictate how we behave, but in actual fact, we allow the frustrations to help us to build relationships closer and get alongside one another as we journey towards maturity. I'm not saying that we're not this church, but wouldn't it be amazing if this was a church where instead of taking our frustrations out with one another, and it can happen from time to time, we actually encouraged one another and championed one another and helped each other grow into everything that God calls us to be. Wouldn't it be such a, what would it look like for people who came into church if they saw this place where there was just so much life and so much encouragement and so much growth that it's like, I want to be part of this. Why? Because they champion one another. How would you feel leaving this place, going into a workplace or going into a family situation or a neighborhood if you were championed every single person became a cheerleader for want of a better phrase for one another I want to be someone who's a vessel for God to help bring others into maturity I look at our kids and they're going to grow up and what an amazing privilege our kids team have to serve and honor them and to show them who God is and to teach them some character development, teach them the Bible and to teach them who Jesus is in order that they can grow into kids. And I'm believing that the kids in there, I'm believing those young people are connected to us who are going to be leaders and who are going to bring others into maturity. And who knows what it can look like and it can become so easy to get frustrated. The Bible is full of people who got frustrated, but I believe that God wants to encourage us that when we do get frustrated, let's turn that frustration into a way of growing others. And it's not about being better or looking down on people or talking down on people, but actually it's speaking the truth in love. Because I believe that we are called to protect one another, we're called to serve one another, and we are called to help one another to grow into maturity. And maturity is when I'm willing to say, it's not about me, but I'm going to put others first. And I know so many people are great at that, but we can always do better. The second thing I note here as we go on this journey of maturity is that we need to read his word. The Bible says that it imparts something, and to impart instruction means that you can literally put knowledge inside of you. So even if you don't understand it, the Bible has the ability, as I read it, to put stuff inside of me, not just here, but also in my heart. The Bible is the instruction manual. It is the manifesto, the employee handbook, whatever you want to call it, the student prospectus. It's everything. It is the vision statement of your life. And the Bible is the source of instruction. Like I said earlier, if you want to know how to behave or how to act, read the Bible. If you want to know how to read, read the Bible. If you want to know what God calls you to do, read the Bible. If you want to know how much God loves you, read the Bible. Like Paul says, it imparts encouragement and inspiration so that we might live in hope and endure all things. Now, those of you who know me, I love all things in the Bible because it's one of the few things in the Bible where it literally translates as all things, which means that this book that we are so precious and blessed to have as so many in the world don't have is the ability to put stuff in me that I can always have hope and that no matter what I face in life, I can endure all things. Why? Because of this incredible book called the Bible. Let me be clear. I am not the kind of person who believes that the devil is at every corner or that there's like everything that comes against me is from the devil. I'm not one of those people. But I do firmly believe in my heart of hearts that there is a spiritual element that comes against us to prevent us from reading our Bible. I believe that that is a spiritual battle. I've spoken to Christians, I've spoken to so many young people, but not just young people, old people, who the, the, the amount of times there's distractions that come in that prevent them from reading 
the Bible. I believe it from the bottom of my heart. I also believe that it's always been that way. Because I firmly believe that if Christians in the church, if you and I could honestly get the reality of reading my Bible and make it a discipline in our life, then it would be a light to our path like the word promises. It would be the thing that endures forever and builds us up. I also believe it's been the same way since the beginning. If you don't believe me, that's absolutely fine. But in Genesis chapter 3, the serpent in the garden says to Eve, did God really say that? Was that really what God's word was? Are you sure? Even when Jesus was tempted, his response was, it is written. Now, how did he know what was written if he didn't read it? Because Jesus himself, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, recognized that I ha- even I have, to- he was the word, <laughs> but he still had to read the word to feed his soul. Why? Because we're going to have to endure some things as we look to stretch and strengthen. And uh, the amount of times, honestly, and I, th- I love that the Bible is on my phone. <laughs> I love it. It's great. But see the amount of times when I'll sit to read my Bible and then boom, notification. TikTok pops up or a message comes through. Why? Because the enemy will do anything he can to distract you from reading the word. I believe that our knowledge is a weapon that we can use to batter down the enemy. Why? Because if we read our word, it will show us who has the authority to and whose we are. It will teach us about how there's power in the name of Jesus. It will build our faith. It means that though I might be in the lion's den, I can trust the process. Why? Because I've read the book. It means that I can be standing in the midst of a fire, but it's okay. Do you know why? Because I can trust the process because I've read the book. I can be going through the wilderness right now, but it's okay because I can trust the process. Why? Because I've read the book. I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Why? Because I've read the book and I know that the Lord is my shepherd. I can have need, but do you know why? I won't have want. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. He shall supply all of my needs. But the only reason I know that is because I've read the book. You see, if we read the book, it tells me that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And the only reason I know it is because I read the book. And if I've read the book, I know that if Jesus loves me, there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Why? Because it's in the book. And I can trust the book because it doesn't need to defend. It doesn't need my defense. Obviously, we should have a defense for what we believe, but the book stands on its own. People have tried to challenge the book forever, but they can't. Why? Because it's the authoritative word of God. So I want to encourage you. Maybe you do struggle with reading the book. You don't have to understand the book. You just have to read it and say, God, God, I'm, I'm, I'm coming here with my, my, that little faith that I have to read your book. And what you'll find is it'll impart stuff into you. It'll build character. It'll build hope. It'll build an endurance that nothing else on this planet possibly can. So I want to encourage you, just read the book. Read the book. And number three that I notice and I'm not quite finished yet is that we have to give God the glory. You see, glory means the high renown or honor won by notable achievements. It also says a thing, or I mean, I don't like calling God a thing, but it says a thing that is worthy of praise. I believe firmly in my heart of hearts, I'm saying that a lot this morning, that we should honor one another. Like, I believe that honor is, it's a powerful thing, and I love to honor. I love honor. Like, I think honor is so valuable. I believe that we should honor when one another do things well. I think we should honor when we try things. I think we should just honor people for any reason whatsoever. But for me, 
Glory is just a little bit higher. I believe that we should honor one another, but God is the one who gets all of the glory. I can't take any of glory for anything. He gets the glory. So when someone writes a great song, we should honor that, but we should give God the glory. When, you do, when, when someone passes an exam, we should honor them for passing the exam, but we should give God the glory. Why? Because he's the only one who is worthy of praise. I believe honor is a biblical principle, and I believe we're called to do that. And I just want to take a sidestep. I believe that honor isn't just standing up when someone gets up to speak or when someone does things, but I believe that honor is honoring our leaders, honoring our communities, honoring our neighbors, honoring our colleagues, and honoring one another. I've said it a million times, and I'll say it a million more, but honor isn't really about a person. Honor is about me. Honor is who I am. I'm going to choose to be someone who honors, and it's a journey like everything else is. But I'd love for us to just have a behavior of honor about us every single day. Could you imagine how much honor would add value to people we meet in shops or the people who serve us at petrol stations or the people who serve us in restaurants or the people we interact with as we're walking dogs? Wouldn't it be amazing if we took time and became people who purposefully lived a life of honor? Because honor adds value to someone. You see, I also believe that if we become people of honor, people will recognize it and it's an opportunity to give God the glory. As I've got older, I've realized that God is literally the only one who's, who deserves honor and glory. Not honor, but we deserve honor, but glory goes to God and God alone. Every battle that I've ever won in life, it wasn't me. It was him at work and me. I can't take any credit for it. Why? Because it was him. Last week, I got the honor of sharing as I led the meeting how Romans chapter 8 for me is the best chapter in the entire Bible. The whole Bible is good, but Romans chapter 8 is just particularly precious and special to me. But my favorite one verse in it, it's the only verse I'll ever need. And I'm glad I've got a whole Bible, but it's Romans chapter 8, verse 28, because it says, For God, God, sorry, causes all things to work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Who causes things to work out? God. Who does the calling? God. What's my job? To love him. But the band can come up. I'm not quite finished yet. But I just want to close with this story, but it's a fairly long-winded one. But it's worth it because it's the story of how God deserves every single piece of glory. But I remember in 2009, I was in Austria on a mission trip, the only mission trip I've ever been on. God bless me for that. I mean, Austria, if you're going to go on a mission trip, Austria is a pretty good place to go. I won't lie. Apparently, I found out recently it is the, what was it, the best life expectancy. The, it's pretty much the best country to live in for, like, everything. It's just a health, wealth, and everything in between. It is the place to go. So, as mission trips go, it was a fairly easy one. But I remember I was waiting for my fifth year exam results. Now, fourth year, I breezed it. Don't know how, but I breezed it. Fourth year, I was flying. Fifth year, not so much. And I remember getting the, I was being in Austria, and it was whether I would open them when I came home or whether my parents would open them and then relay the message because I was in Austria. And I don't know if it was God's wisdom or what, but I decided to let my parents open them while I was out of the country. And I'm believing that was God causing all things to work together for my good. And to be honest, the exam results did not go the way that I had told my parents they would go, um, which is on me. I didn't study enough, I didn't work hard enough, and to be honest, I didn't get the grades I expected or hoped for, but I got the grades I deserved, to be honest. 
And I remember the next year we were applying to universities and we'd done open days and I, I went to visit Stirling University. Now, if you've never been to Stirling University, you should go. It is amazing. I was, I'm a sport guy. They had like an Olympic swimming pool. Don't even like swimming, but it was just cool. They had tennis courts, cricket pitches, football pitches, rugby pitches. Like, they had a cinema. They had like mountains surrounding the camp. Honestly, I'm like, Stirling, this isn't fair. How could there be a campus this beautiful? So I applied, and I remember I got, an un, I got a conditional offer, which meant I was in if I'd done well in my six-year exams. So God gave me a second chance to fulfill my dream. This is what I was wanting. I had a dream. It wasn't quite as amazing as Martin Luther King's, but I had a dream. This is what I, my plan was. I was going to get these results. I was going to go to Stirling Uni, and that's it. Didn't really have much worked out after that. And I remember waiting for exam result day. wasn't in Austria this time. There was no protection. I'm just kidding. But I remember waiting for the results, and I read the results, and you probably guessed it. <laughs> Same thing that happened in fifth year, happened in sixth year. Didn't get the results I wanted or needed. I was not going to Stirling University. My plan for my life wasn't going to work out. And it was my fault. Couldn't blame anyone else. If I'd studied harder, if I'd worked harder, then I could have got in. But I just didn't. And I remember being so crushed and so disappointed and so, ugh, what do I do now? And I remember I ended up going to university in Hamilton and I stayed at home. And I struggled for a while. I struggled with my self-worth. I struggled with my, well, this isn't really what I want. But a friend had shared with me the Bible verse around this time that God causes all things to work together for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And I remember going on this journey and sorry for getting emotional, but this was maybe like 12, 11 years ago. And I looked as I was preparing this message and about God getting the glory. I think about if I had gone to Stirling Uni, who knows what that would have been. I'm sure I would have loved Jesus. And I went to church. I have no doubt about that in my mind. But if I'd moved to Stirling, I probably would have ended up with the amazing wife that I have, Heather. I certainly probably would have never went on this journey of full-time ministry that God called me to. Why? Because over the years, God had a plan for my life. And I didn't see it. And even through my failures and my weaknesses, God's hand was on my life. And I was just like, God, you're causing all things to work together for the good so even when I messed up even though I failed even though I God you saw it and you were working all things for my good why because I just choose to love him and I flash forward as I was able to get my ministerial status for AOG and it was humbling to me to see part of the conferences I see you see the names of the pastors who have gone on to glory and I, every year I'm reminded one day my name will be up there God willing and I remembered that it's God who causes all things to work together. So the reason I'm standing here today, yes, we had to do things, and I'm not trying to minimize what anyone does, but the reality is God's the one who gets the glory. So anything good in my life, any good sermons I ever preach, any bad sermons I ever preach, any work he ever does through me, it's God who gets the glory. I can't take any of it. Why? Because it was my failure. It was my mistake. But God causes it for my good. 
And it's been true since the beginning of time as I close with just Joseph. His brothers attacked him. And he goes through this horrible journey of slavery, false accusations till he's elevated. And he says, what you meant for evil, God used it for good. And I believe that just like God causes all things to work together for my life, even my mistakes, my failures, and all the good times, the bad times, and everything in between, God can do the exact same for you if you just surrender and love him and recognize that, God, you get all the glory. I'm not holding on to any glory at all because I don't deserve any of it, but it all belongs to you. Can we stand just as I close? And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to finish by giving God all the glory and all the praise as we worship him. Father God, I thank you that we can trust the one who says trust the process. Father God, help us to build one another up. Help us to serve one another. Help us to be vessels that help one another move towards maturity as we lay our lives down to serve others. God, help us to not become distracted and help us to just have a discipline of reading your word that helps us to have hope and to endure all things, what things that come against us and things that we go through. God, we know that it's going to turn out all right because we've read the word. But above all, God, help us to live lives that give you all of the glory. Father God, that when people look at us, they just see us pointing to you. That we increase, that you must increase, that you get all of the glory. Father God, because you're the only one who is worthy of it and you're the only one who deserves it. So help us to live life this way. As we trust the process, as we stretch and strengthen God, we give you all praise, we give you all honor, we give you all glory. It all belongs to the name of Jesus. We worship you, amen.